Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And uh, today is not one of our back to school shows, uh, but it is uh, kind of like that because it is related to precious metals and that kind of thing. And uh before I start on that, though, let me remind you of something, which is that there is a website associated with this podcast called wealthformula.com. Uh, not a surprising name for the associated podcast, but that is it. And uh, one of the things that I would like you to consider if if you are an accredited investor, which means that you... Uh, which is not something you have to apply for. It's basically just describes you. You're somebody who makes $200,000 per year or $300,000 a year as a couple for two consecutive years with a reasonable expectation to continue doing so. And, or you have a net worth of a million dollars outside of your personal residence. Now that alone makes you an accredited investor. And if that is you consider joining our investor club which is uh, for deal flow because we're about to hit the ground running here uh we're about to we're about to do some deals and it's been a while but we are about to do some deals and uh you know i think it's a it's a great time for you to get onboarded before that so once you go to wealthformula.com you sign up for investor club you get onboarded by our group and then you can check out uh, some of the potential things that we are looking at as a group. Okay, check that out, wealthformula.com. Now, okay, so today's show is about silver. Now, those of you who know me, who've listened to me for a long time, know that I'm not really a precious metals guy. I mean, I know the arguments and I respect them. Gold has held its price over an unprecedented amount of time. An ounce of gold got a guy a nice toga and sandals in Roman times, and today it'll get you a nice suit and a pair of shoes. I get it. In that regard, gold has been the ultimate hedge. And if you're looking for wealth preservation over a thousand years, then there you go. Just buy some gold, right? Because, you know, your real estate's not going to last a thousand years. But do you need it to last a thousand years? I'm not so sure about that. But I will tell you, that that argument is uh, what people selling gold will tell you. And they aren't lying. 
But there is often an element of fear-mongering involved in that world that I find a little distasteful. Now, the thing I really don't like about gold is that it is an asset that doesn't throw off any money. And if you are storing it somewhere, it's going to cost you money to do so. Kind of like real estate that has negative cash flow, right? Unleveraged real estate with negative cash flow. That's kind of what it feels like to me. And with negative cash flow, leverage doesn't make sense either. Not like it's available on gold anyway. So I guess my perspective, and again, it's my perspective. I, you know, there's people who disagree and a lot of gold bugs are very, very fanatical. So, you know, I have to watch my back when I say stuff like that. Uh, but my perspective is that if you want a real asset that is hedged against the dollar and keeps up with inflation, why not buy real estate instead? In fact, if you don't put any leverage on the real estate, which, you know, I mean, for, for me, if, if I can have leverage, I'm going to take the leverage. But if you don't want it, it's pretty much behaving like gold, but also giving you an income as well, right? And what do I mean by that? Well, I remember Dante Andrade and I, my partner on Turo, uh, we were we're seeing uh, properties, uh, you know, for for our own portfolio, and we were seeing, you know, we we're seeing properties being sold for thirty forty million dollars in cash, and they were being bought by Chinese uh, for cash, just you know, no leverage whatsoever. They're just going to plop it down and just wire you the money, you know. Uh, and what were they doing? They were essentially buying a storage of value outside of China. That's what they were doing. And that kind of sounds like gold, right? Except the real estate cash flowed. Now, anyway, today I'm not, again, I'm not anti-gold by any means. I'm just not a gold bug. And that gets gold bugs riled up. And, hey, you know, all I'm going to say is convince me. Convince me. I have an open mind. I keep interviewing people who are gold people. As for other precious metals, well, they often have more utility than gold. So that certainly is an appealing quality. Silver, for example, used in several industries, um, several applications. And in that sense, there may be some additional value there that could lead to price increases in the future. So I'm certainly not an expert in this area. And uh, so I just have my, like, you know, big picture uh, perspective on this. And listen, I'm not alone, obviously, like, you know, Warren Buffett never buys gold, and I'm, I'm certainly not as smart as Warren Buffett, but I get the idea. He doesn't buy gold because, again, he, set, he, he doesn't look at it as something that is actually producing anything, so he doesn't buy it, right? Um, and I know some people are going to say, well, you know, he did buy some gold mine uh, companies or something like that. He was buying, I think he was buying some royalty companies, basically, is what he was doing. That's totally different. Like, he's monetizing the business of gold mining. Anyway, um, so I'm not an expert, but that uh, being said, personal finance is personal, and you should hear the arguments for all types of assets and make your own decision. So my guest on this week is actually an uh, expert on silver. Makes a pretty interesting case for what you why you might want to add some to your portfolio. Um, and the truth be told, I do own a little bit of silver. Um, and And... You know, it, it sounds kind of silly, but when I first kind of like got into this alternative asset space, somebody like scared me into buying like a monster box. It's like this big box of silver dollars um, in case of like, you know, the zombie apocalypse. Um, because, you know, everybody knows that zombies take only silver dollars. But anyway, I am just kidding. Okay, I'm not I'm not making fun of people. 
kind of maybe I am. But there is a there is a compelling story behind Silver, and you should know it. So make sure you tune in, and uh, we'll have that interview right after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Mike DiRienzo. Uh, Mike is Executive Director and Secretary of the Silver Institute, uh, which is a nonprofit international association that draws its membership from across the breadth of silver, the silver industry, including silver mining houses, refiners, uh, bullion suppliers, manufacturers of silver products, and wholesalers of silver investment products. It's, it was established in 1971. Uh, the Institute serves as the industry's voice in increasing public understanding of many uses and values of silver. Mike, uh, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to talk a little bit about silver because the the uh, the noise is usually in in the direction of uh, gold and what's happening with gold and silver seems to be sort of the redheaded stepchild uh, when it comes to precious metals. But how do you, uh, as a silver as a uh, as a silver guy, I guess, how do you differentiate uh, silver from you know other precious metals? Sure. Well, I mean, silver is unique in the fact that it's both an industrial and a precious metal. So you'll find no metal that has that other quality, both those qualities. So over 50% of silver is used in industry. And we do have the investment and the precious component as well. So, yeah, while silver is not gold, many people invest in silver purely for its industrial uses. And uh, the fact that it's in so many products and applications that we use every day. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about those products and, and, and things that uh, I think a lot of people don't know that, right? That, that, there's a, uh, that there's applications for silver. So give us some examples of everyday things that we use um, that involve silver. Sure. So essentially, if it has an on and off switch, silver is involved. So it's the greatest conductor of electricity in terms of metals. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest thermal conductor of electricity. It has properties that are used in almost every application that you're looking at today. So your computers, your cell phones, your light switches, your automobiles, uh, your white goods, your refrigerators, 
washing machines and dryers and so forth. So it's, it literally surrounds you in your, in your day-to-day life. And if you look at the number of ounces that, uh, you know, were consumed um, uh, in silver last year, we had um, well over 500 million ounces of silver were incorporated into industrial uses. So that's essentially half the market. So we had a little over a billion ounces of supply, a billion ounces of demand. Most of that went to industrial demand. Got it. And there's another, there's, it sounds like there's another uh, potential growing use of silver when it comes to this area of renewable energy. You want to talk about right. that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's an important point. And the fact of the matter is, is that People talk about other metals and and so forth, and you know, let's take for example copper. Um, well, you know, copper has been described as the superhighway to decarbonization. Well, silver is the glue. So if you don't have silver, the copper is not going to work. I mean, the copper can work in certain circumstances, but silver really is the glue. So you look at silver's use in photovoltaics which has grown exponentially over the last decade. You look at silver's use in clean energy vehicles, for example, electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles. Uh, We're looking at over 100 million ounces of silver being used in the automotive, automotive industry by 2025. And quite frankly, these are numbers that were just not there 10 years ago, right? Right. Um, especially in photovoltaics. And I would encourage your users to go to our website at silverinstitute.org and download for free our latest world silver survey where you get a complete breakdown um, of those numbers. Um, talk a little bit about, um, you know, in, in, in terms of comparisons to gold, again, the, the um, gold has always been sort of seen as a you know, hedge against inflation. Presumably silver offers uh, a similar role um, although it may ha- actually, in some respects, I think if I think about it in, in, in practical terms, I would think it would even be a better hedge because if there's a growing need for it as well, along with sort of this right. idea, the way that gold, um, you know, gold is money. Is silver money? Silver is money. Silver is money and in, 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 in across the globe. I mean, if you were to buy an American Eagle coin today, it has a face value. Okay, there's a price involved. Now, would you want to take a, a $50 gold coin and buy $36 worth of groceries or a $10 silver coin and buy $5 worth of groceries? No, but it's legal tender. You can use it. So a lot of people do stack their portfolios with two, five, maybe even more of a percentage um, uh, with gold and silver, hard assets. Mm-hmm. Not Bitcoin, not some of these other dreamscape commodities that have just been dreamt up in the last few years, but hard assets, gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, all right? So people do diversify their portfolios with those. Now, that's not to say that these cryptocurrencies haven't made a dent in the speculative market for gold and silver. They have. I mean, I don't think we know exactly where that's going to end up. I mean, every day I read about the malfeasance and the, and the lawsuits and the stolen wallets and so forth. Um, 
You don't get that with physical gold and silver. Okay, you just don't get that. But back to your original question, is silver a store of value? It has. It is. It's been one for over 3,000 plus years. And is it, a, is, it a, is it historically, does it act in the same way as a hedge as gold? Or is there anything that's different about it? Well, I think I can make the argument that gold has not corresponded with an inflation concern this time around as it would have in the 1970s or the early 1980s. You know, quite frankly, uh, it's just not behaving in the way it did uh, a generation ago. So, um, and, and silver is following suit. I mean, we're looking at an average price of silver for 2023 so far through the first six months of about $23.80. Mm-hmm. All right. And there are others, there are people out there that argue that, that you know, the price should be triple digits, so $100 plus silver. And there are others that say that it's a $5 metal. I think if you were to canvas most analysts across the world, um, they would say that we're kind of in the middle of the range for where we are right now. If you look at the LBMA's annual analyst forecast, for example, I think the average price they pegged for 2023 is about $24 or $25, with a top end of 30 and a low of 16 So I know that our producers um, would appreciate a higher price, Sure. But I know at $24 and $25 as we speak today um, is healthy for them. Yeah. But they would appreciate a higher price. Let's put it that way. So uh, what is your take on investing in silver in terms of, like, does it have to be hard? Uh, does it actually have to be physical mm-hmm. silver? Um, do you think ETFs are okay? Uh, you know, you could, I, I ask you because, you know, some of the gold people that I've talked to are, are very adamant that it has to be physical gold and you know so i'm just curious where your take is on that for silver well i mean there are two schools of thoughts here so you people buy coins they buy bars they either store them themselves or they have a third-party custodian you know you need a third-party custodian for purposes of an ira account um, but there are many people who like the convenience um, of an etp so an exchange traded product which only came on the market in 2006. So they're less than 20 years old. And that provided the convenience of an investor getting in and getting out of that investment on their own trading platforms or through a broker, much in the same way they do any other mutual fund or any equity that they may own. Um, That silver is backed up, by the way, with physical silver in vaults that are run by custodians most of those vaults are in London, some are in the United States, but it's not a fake paper trade. Um, there is actual silver there to back it up as there is with gold. I want to understand a little bit about, um, you know, first of all, like how, how is silver mined exactly? I mean, uh, is, it, is it just like gold mines? I mean, is it in, but they're silver? Or, uh, maybe that's a silly question, but I have no idea. Sure. So it's not a silly question because silver is unique in the fact that only 30% of silver that comes from a mined source comes from what's known as a primary silver mine. So that's a silver mine, a mine that has 51% silver in the ore body. Typically, 70% comes to the market from other mining activities. So it's lead and zinc, gold and copper mining. 
And so they're mining for gold, they're mining for gold, uh, copper or lead and zinc. They get a silver credit because silver is in credit in the Dore. And when they send it off to the refiner, um, they'll get credit for all those metals. But only 70%, um, uh, I should say, only 30% comes from what's known as a primary silver mine. And it's interesting to note that the silver mine supply over the last two years has decreased by about 5%. We're thinking there's going to be a small increase this year because of some projects that were sort of waylaid during COVID are uh, coming back online. The uh, industrial uses of silver, do those allow for a recycling of, of, of the metal? Oh, absolutely. When you look at uh, scrap supply of silver, that was about, a, I think, over 200 million ounces last year of scrap coming back to the market. The problem with with silver and recycling um, if it's not jewelry or if it's not coins, um, it's kind of hard and almost financially um, disadvantaged. It's not, it's, it's not your advantage to take the silver out of the metal, but there are people are. So if you look at cell phone recovery of all metals, copper, gold, and silver, that, it, it's, it's very, very strong. So it does happen. The problem with some of the the smaller amounts of these metals in these applications, it's just harder to to extract. Got it. And and so when keeping that in mind, you know the um, I guess the fact that it's kind of harder to extract, um, and the current state of of mining. Um, where are we in terms of the supply and demand of silver now? And where do you kind of anticipate that you know in in the next say decade or so? Yeah, so for the last two years, we've had a deficit in the market with respect to supply and demand. Um, it's about 130 million ounces in 2021. In 2022, it was over 230 million ounces. And this year, we, 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 we sort of project, we do project that it'll be around 140 million ounce uh, deficit. Now, that deficit is, is, is widely made up by above ground stocks. Okay, so it's not going to affect the market to the point where it have an immediate effect. But the fact of the matter is, is this is a trend. We've never witnessed this trend before. And uh, the trend line is pointing to, to continued deficits even through 2025 and 2026. Yeah, and, and, you, and how about beyond that? I'm just curious if you look at sort of technology and all that, do you – you anticipate in an, uh, a growing demand for silver? I mean, is there, let's put it this way, is there competition that you foresee in the applications that are there now that, that somebody looking in this space might might wonder about? Well, there's always competition and there's always thrifting, right? An engineer, a manufacturer uh, would rather use a, a, a less expensive metal. Um, the problem with that, though, is that when you're looking at those other metals, they don't get the um, they don't get the excellence and the quality of silver. So if you take solar panels for example, um, you know solar panels. If one side is coated with the silver powder paste, and it stores the heat, that's later turned into electricity, and so forth. And while they have tried to uh, use other metals, and in some cases they've been somewhat successful. The manufacturers have come to learn that it doesn't have the longevity um, in a solar farm or, for example, 
in a private residence. So silver will be there. The question is, will they continue to reduce silver loadings? Probably. But will the installations of solar panels increase throughout the world? Absolutely. Where where is most of the silver? I mean, uh, is it, uh, you know, what, what, what continent or country sort of dominates this space? It's typically you'll you'll find it's in Mexico, uh-huh. and then Peru, and then China. Those are the top three countries with respect to silver supply. Got it. Um, I'm just curious, and again, this is you know just going back to the gold comparisons. When you look at those prices, regardless of how they've come up and come down uh, together over time, um, why is silver why is silver so much cheaper than gold? There's more of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact of it is this is less rare. Right. Um, and and, and that, that's true of almost anything we sure. buy, right? Of course. Um, you know, you could go buy a, an $11,000 car, or you can go buy a $100,000 BMW electric vehicle. Right. Um, not to say that there's less BMWs at that price level. I mean, it comes down to consumer choice and so forth. But silver has traditionally been a lower price metal through, through history. Yeah. Now historically too, or, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Cause again, I, this is not my space, but there's been uh, typically there's been sort of a, um, a ratio, right? A, a gold to silver yeah. ratio. And, and what is that typically? So what the gold silver ratio is, is how many ounces of silver does it take to e- equal the current price of gold? So I don't know what that figure is today, but what, we're at about $24, $25 silver, and I think we're at about 20, 2100 Sorry, $1,900 mm-hmm. gold, $19 and change, $1,971. So you just have to times, you know, divide $1,970 by $2,490, and you'll get that current right. ratio. Right. And a lot of investors pay attention to that ratio. Yeah. And what they're looking for, if they're on the silver side, is a lower ratio. Yeah, sure, sure, 70s, sure. 70s, lower 80s, 60s. Um, but right now, it's, it's rather high. It's rather high. Got it, got it. Um, so the uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, what you do over there uh, at the Silver Institute. Sure. So as you mentioned, we started in 1971. I wasn't there then or here then, but... Uh, so over 50 years, we're a marketing agent for silver. So we talk about all of its qualities, all of its uses. We put out reports on silver. Um, many consider our annual World Silver Survey to be the Bible of the in- industry. Um, that's widely quoted year in, year out, widely referenced by journalists, analysts, government officials, and so forth. Uh, we have a team of 30-plus people that we hire at Metals Focus in seven countries uh, to get this data. And the difference between that data and other data that you see is this is on-the-ground interviews and meetings and conference attendance um, with the miners, with the end users, with the refiners, with the traders, um, getting a complete full sense of that market. So we're very comfortable with uh, that report, but we also put out other information. We have a free bi-monthly silver news, which contains interesting stories on silver. Could be on silver and the latest health application for silver. 
It could be on the latest manufacturing issue that incorporates silver. So that's a bi-monthly publication. You can sign up for that for free. All of our publications are available at no cost um, in PDF format. Uh, we put on conferences. We attend conferences. I'll be speaking this year at probably, if you look at the webinars and podcasts, well over 30 events, and that includes live events overseas and uh, domestically as well. So our members are the leading mining companies, as you mentioned, um, and also the refiners, end users, and uh, our survey sponsors also include those that trade silver, so the various leading banks that trade silver. Well, good stuff, Mike. Uh, it's, a, it's something that I think that people uh, sometimes ignore. I think it's a good idea to uh, get educated I, on it. And the um, I appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. And I encourage your users also to follow us on Twitter, at Silver Institute. We put out one or two tweets a week um, on various aspects of silver. Uh, and we talk about everything from solar demand to did you know that uh, – the World Cup trophies are, are, are made of silver or that the World Series trophy is made of silver or that the Vince Lombardi trophy is made of silver or the Wimbledon trophies are made of silver or the Major League Baseball. And so yeah, our yeah. tagline is silver is actually for champions, sure. not gold. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, well, uh, a little healthy uh, uh a little controversy there, but, uh, but good enough. Uh, again, the, the website is uh, uh, silverinstitute.org. I also, uh, people want to go and, and learn a little bit more about that. Mike, thanks again for joining us on Wealth Formula Podcast. Appreciate it. Be right I really back. appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, I am not anti-gold. I am not anti-silver or precious models or anything like that. Um. You know, this is stuff that you should know about. And I guess at the end of the day, it just comes down to listening what people have to say about every one of these asset classes and making your personal financial decisions uh, personally. Stay tuned for another episode of Wealth Formula Podcast this week because we are in the special back-to-school mode, so we're going all in. Uh, that show, as long as it doesn't somehow explode, uh, between now and then, is uh, is related to estate planning, and there's no guest. It's me just going on an estate planning rant, um, which uh, you should definitely listen to because I'm basically distilling everything I know about it. And of course, I'm not an attorney, and I'm not you know whatever else qualifications you need. But I'm I've looked into this a lot, so it might be of interest to you as I go on my solo rant. Um, that's it for me this uh, episode, though. This is Buck Jaffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. 
I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.